That was awesome. Well, welcome to our new series, Jehovah. We are looking at well, what Aaron just described. And uh, I just got to tell you, I am proud of the young women in our church. Like, sometimes you look at young people as like potential, and we don't have to do that in this church. Uh, we, we've got middle school, high school, college age, just out of college. We've got people who are already becoming and are already present as who God's called them to be, already serving, already teaching me, leading us. Um, thank you. So, Aaron, thanks for putting that together for us. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about forgiveness, which is everybody's favorite subject, especially when we're a little bit tired. And we're also going to be talking about the, the very thing she talked about. Is, is there consistency from the Old Testament to the New to today? And if there is, what is it that God wants to say and what is it that God is doing? And um, I want to pray because reality is there aren't the right words to say to a corporate group about forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit has to work and say something specific to each of us because we're in different places and we have different pains and we have different sins of our own and different sides of the corporate sins and all of this kind of stuff. And so I'm going to pray that God gives me his words, but also that his spirit just moves and does his thing as we're talking. So I want to ask you to pray with me, okay? Heavenly Father, we come to you as your daughters and your sons. Many of us come recognizing that we are your daughters and sons. Many of us are wondering if that could maybe be true of us someday. Wherever we are in this, we ask that your spirit would fill this room. We ask that your spirit would dwell within each of us like you say that it will and that you would search our hearts and know our hearts and that you would bring a deeper understanding of your character, your love, your compassion, your forgiveness. And that that would pour out of us as your image bearers. Thank you that you're gentle. But thank you that you're persistent. Thanks that you're not finished with us yet. In your name. Amen. So as we start this series, the question I want to ask you before we get to does he still forgive is how do you see God? Like you on your own, when you're driving in your car, when you're riding on the bus, when you're um, making a meal at home, when you're doing whatever it is that you do in your ordinary life, how do you see God and how do you approach him? When you pray, how do you address him? Uh, I remember when I moved to the south, all of a sudden I, I, I felt a different like reverence when I prayed because everybody down here says sir all the time and I'd never said sir in my life but all of a sudden when I prayed like hey like why am I so casual with God a and there was this like gift in addressing people as sir with this respect that impacted the way that I prayed from then on and and like recognizing that God was Lord made more sense being in a culture that called people sir because I grew up just calling everybody like hey Joe what's up and Joe, like, ran the city, you know? There, how is it that you address God? How is it that you see God? 
the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they seem so different. And, and we kind of separate them out, right? I, oftentimes I see them like they're like family, but they're just like really, really different. Like my family is all like technically family. We all live together. We're, we're all family, but we're completely different from one another. And I kind of act like that's the way God is. Like the Old Testament, we give that to God the Father. The Gospels and many of the letters, we give that to Jesus. Acts and a few like occasional appearances we give to the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of how we break down the Bible. And then when it comes to their roles, we kind of, we give them different roles. My, my mom and dad used to play the game of like good cop, bad cop with us kids. You know that one, right? I mean, as soon as Carter got old enough, Nikki and I learned this game. Like, which one are you going to do? Are you going to be the good cop or the bad cop? And one of you decides that you're going to, like, butter up to the kid to get the information you want. And the other one's going to be really mean and, like, be stern and, and get the information you want. But really, it's just about getting the information that you want. And often we act like that's what God is doing. That Old Testament God is the bad cop. And then Jesus comes along and was like, well, that didn't work. Let's try the good cop version. And we, we act like he, he is extremely inconsistent. My family growing up actually had it a little different. My dad traveled, uh, so he was only home on, on weekends and holidays and vacations. And so as you can imagine, like, he got to be home to, like, correct us if we were really, really off. And then for all the fun things. So my mom would often say, well, you kids just have a mean mom and a Disney dad. And I, d I didn't really know what it meant. I was like, Dad doesn't even like Disney. What are you talking about? But what she meant was she had to do all the hard work and all the mean things, and then Dad showed up, and it was just a party every time Dad was around. And again, we kind of act like, well, Old Testament God is just the mean one, and Jesus is the Disney one. And then the Holy Spirit is just like the uncle who shows up for birthdays and then disappears. And like whenever he's there, it's a party. But that's it. Nobody really knows what happened. That's what we act like the Holy Spirit is. And it's really fractured and broken. And no wonder that we get confused on Scripture when we see it that way. But we miss the fact that God is one. Each person in the Trinity has distinct roles. But the character of God is one. And we need to remember that, that the things that God's heart breaks for are the things that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit break for. Like, it's, it's all the same thing. The agenda is the same. Everything is the same. Roles are different, but the Trinity functions as one. And so when we come to Scripture, let's come to Scripture that way. So when you look at when God first says his name, it's in the Old Testament. So we kind of think the mean one, right? We think the bad cop. But what is it that he breaks into? What is a situation where he, he reveals who he is? It's when he says, I have seen my people's affliction. I've heard their cry. I know their suffering. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will deliver. And my name, so you know who I am, my name is Yahweh. My name is Jehovah. And he goes on and proves who he is over and over again, that sounds a whole lot like when Jesus appears on the scene and unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and begins to talk about that this is the day where the prisoner will be set free, where the blind will see, right? It sounds like the same God, maybe because maybe just maybe it is. The father appears and 
in Exodus because he hears the, the cry and he's seen the affliction. And Malachi, it says that God does not change. Jesus comes to give his life so there can be nothing between us and him. No excuse, no distance, no sin, no nothing, no fracturing. The Holy Spirit comes and he lives within us in this profound way. And this is God as one. This is one story here. And so not only does that make me look to the Old Testament in a different way, but but there's this other question of is what God's doing in the Old Testament the same as what he's doing in the New Testament? And more and more I'm saying, yeah, it it, it feels different. Jesus with flesh on feels different. But yes, this is the same God at work. But then what about now? Is God still doing these things? Is he still at work? Is he still moving? Is he still acting? And this morning, does God still forgive? Like really forgive? Can he do that? So if you spend some time, I spent a couple weeks just reading all the scriptures about forgiveness. If you do that and kind of take off your uh you know, your hat of all the things that, that we've kind of viewed the world through. But if you just read through forgiveness, two things jumped out at me anyway. And the first thing that really jumped out at me was that there's a ton of passages about repentance and forgiveness that are corporate, which nobody ever talked to me about. When it comes to forgiveness, there's a ton of passages that are about like all my people together and me as their God. I was always kind of taught that it's like Matt in the corner praying for forgiveness and I'll like take care of me and you take care of you and like I, I hope I end up in the life raft, wh whatever happens to you. But tons of the passages are about like corporately, what are we doing together? It, it reminded me when I was a kid, uh, I was at a friend's house and we were playing baseball in the driveway with the baseball. We didn't have gloves on, but we we're still playing with, I, I don't, we didn't make much sense. But I remember I was the catcher, and he was pretending he was Oral Hershiser, and somebody was the batter, and we were really hoping he couldn't hit the ball because there were cars all over the place. But we were still playing because we weren't intelligent. And he threw a fastball that was a little bit too high. I couldn't catch it because I didn't have a glove on, and I don't want to catch a fastball with my hand. So I just, like, squatted further down. And the ball went really fast straight into the window of the garage. And the garage window broke. And my friend with the bat dropped the bat. And I looked straight at the pitcher like, well, that was dumb. And then we had this moment of like, oh, we were all kind of dumb. Like, if I caught the ball, I would have broke my hand maybe. If, if you had hit the ball, you would have broke a vehicle. Like, w this was just a dumb decision. So we went to the, uh, Sandy was the, the mom of the house. We said, uh, Sandy, like, we, we, we all just broke your window. Inside, I wanted to be like, he broke it. Like, he, th he threw it high. <laughs> but I had learned because not like a month before, we were at my neighbor's house playing basketball, and uh, they didn't quite invite us over. And we were, we liked their house more because it was a low rim, and my vertical is low. So we were dunking on this one, and I went up to dunk, and the rim came down with me at my neighbor who didn't like me. And um, that time, we decided we were going to sell each other out. And I was like, well, it's your fault. You hung on it longer. And like, well, it's your fault. You're, the rim is in your hand. 
and tho- those kind of things. We were like, well, it's, it's you, it's me. What role did you play? And we're like all, like there's always this, what, I'm only going to fess up to my part. Or no, there's this corporate thing of like, no, I, this is, I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. So there's this passage that, that Christians in the U.S. love, but we don't read. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn their heart or turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from them, forgive their sin and heal their land. The U.S. church loves this verse, but doesn't read it. You remember when your kids were little and they parallel played? And you'd, you'd like get a play date. Some of us would do this. You'd get a play date and your kids didn't like to play together. They played next to each other. And, and you just like, hey, I'll, I'll run my car right here, and you will run your car right here. And that's like what best friends do. And there's a stage in development where, like, it's really healthy for people to parallel play. And then you get older, and hopefully you learn to play with somebody. I think the U.S. church is constantly parallel praying. And we get together, and we say, oh, what this verse means is we should come together, and then we should really quietly pray about our individual sin. And I'm going to come sit next to you, and I'm going to say, like, Lord, forgive me because I totally judged that person because they wore that yesterday, too. And, 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 like, and then we just pray really, really hard on our own for our own life. And maybe if I add my prayer to you and you add your prayer to you, and then God will heal our land. That is not what that verse is talking about. That's not it. The verse is saying, hey, when well my people come together and say, we're broken, we are broken, We can't be like this. We can't function like this. Lord, please restore things. That's when he hears us, and that's when he heals our land. We, if you've been around here for a little while, you know that we have these 2020 conversations. Last month, we had one about mass incarceration. We watched the 13th. We had a short discussion afterwards that was, didn't, wasn't long, but for me, it was really profound. We had this other 2020 a few months ago where we, we had a, a privilege walk in this room. And you could physically see people's level of privilege by where they were in the room at the end. And I leave nearly every one of these 2020 conversations with a deeper reality that I think on my own, my hands are clean. I didn't set all this up. I have nothing to do with the prison system, all this kind of stuff. you know. And I, I, I think, like, no, I'm good. And corporately, like... Lord, help us. And I repent. There's broken systems and broken structures. And your kingdom looks vastly different than that. And let me be a part of a people who like repent on this. And so there's constantly in forgiveness and in scripture, if we're going to be honest, when you look at forgiveness in scripture, there's always this corporate element. What are we all doing together? Where are we saying no longer our way or our culture's way, but your way? No longer our way, but the kingdom's way. What if our systems are broken? What if our structures are broken? What if our way of treating one another is broken? Where do we need heaven to come onto earth, into Louisville, just like it is in heaven? That's what this corporate piece is about. That's what Second Chronicles is really about. Like if we would come and say, Lord, we're broken in this way. We really, we fake like each other, but we really hate each other. We're totally, we're totally judging each other. We say that everyone's made in God's Im- image, but what we really mean is like people who sin like us are made in God's image. And people who sin different, we're not quite so sure. 
And that's where we come and we, we say, Lord, forgive me for my part in us. And we come together and we say, forgive us for our parts in us. And I believe that is the place where we see that God hears from us, forgives our sin, and heals our land. There's another thing I find when I go through all of Scripture is that forgiveness has been like a part of what God has done and a part of his character, man, since, since like Genesis. We see him constantly bringing his people back. We see his heart for his people over and over. We're going to sit for a couple minutes in Psalm 103. Uh, if you've got a Bible, it'll be on the screen. But if you've got a Bible, pull it out to, to this chapter. In verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. It's a couple powerful things there, guys. His posture towards us is merciful and gracious. This is Old Testament God. It's the one that we always accuse of being mean. The way he chooses to head towards us is merciful and gracious. And then it, it says here that uh, he will not keep his anger forever. This made me pause for a minute because that, that assumes that for a minute he is angry. And I think we've got to be honest about that one. Being angry is not sinful. If it was, God couldn't do it. And we've got, we've got anger issues like all over, but part of them are we don't even let ourselves be angry. There are some things that we should be angry about. We should not be angry about it forever. We should take God's lead. There is reason to be angry because we desperately want the kingdom to break through, but anger can't win. Love does. And God models this for us. He, he, will, uh, he, he will not remain angry forever, and then he doesn't deal with us according to our sin. And this is a big deal. He doesn't look at me as just a list of the ways that I've failed. He's aware of what those are, but that's not my identity to him. I think oftentimes that is my identity when I approach him. That's the way that I see myself. I see myself as here's my 58 failings, and instead of offering that up to him, I kind of take that as my ID card. Instead of me saying, hey, here's where I'm inconsistent with my character, with who you created me to be, I just say, hey, this is me. Deal with it. That's off. That's missing who he is. And look at where he goes next. I think this is huge. In verse 11, he says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And then look at 13 and 14 here. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As far as the east is from the west, so he takes it all away from me. And some of us need to sit in that, guys. All that stuff that we wear as identity, we need to just, no. If God says it's gone, it's gone. If he says it's far from who we are, it's far from who we are. But there's a danger in that. The danger in that is we start to strut. And kind of like, yeah, that's not me. It's you, but it's not me. 
And I, I've been this too many times. I start walking like Jamel does, you know, real slow and real cool, like both legs are broke. <laughs> and I get this strut thing on. And I'm like, yes, you know, you look like you still got roller skates on, not in your car. But right after he says, as far as the east is from the west, he says something we need to hear because he shows compassion to his children because he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. Don't forget that piece. Don't forget that. This compassion. I love when God shows me compassion, but you know what I like to act like? I like to act like I got 93% of the way there on my own, and he just gives me a little bump. And that's all I needed. And like, thanks, God. (laughs) We made it. I did most of the work, and you just gave me the little push. That's not it at all. This kind of compassion, you know what it is? It's pity. He has pity on you. Like, oh, Matt, that's cute that you think you're doing it. You're not really doing a thing. Let me pick you up, move you the 80 miles onto the right path that you need to be, and then I'll set you back down. Let me have pity on you because I know that you're dust. I know that on your own, like... You're really not, you're made of my image, but you're made of dust. And I think we need to hold these at the same time. If we're going to look at what forgiveness really is, we know that as far as the east is from the west is how far he takes our sin away from us because he has pity on us and knows that we're dust. And somewhere in there, humility can be and repentance can be our posture and forgiveness can happen. But I, but I don't like I don't like pity. I, I don't know about you guys. I, I remember my dad telling me, uh, go help everybody, but don't ever take anybody's help. Go help folks, but don't let them help you. And, and I started to like wear that as like a badge. I'm going to never need more or, or never, you know, I, I'm going to always make sure that I can, I can measure up enough. I don't ever want anybody to to look down on us. I remember when Anna started having some health concerns. I was like, well, no, we, we're fine. We don't need help. We don't need anybody. Look, no, don't, like, don't feel for us. Don't, like, fighting against anybody having compassion or pity on us because, no, we, we made it. No. If you've been around me for 10 minutes, you know that I, I, I'm a train wreck. But as far as the east is from the west, God's taken the sins away from me. And I don't like pity, but I can't have forgiveness if I push it away. I don't like pity because I like pride. I don't like pity because I like to act like I got 93% of the way there on my own. Reality is I didn't. All I found on my own was trouble. And he had pity on me. Like a father does for his children. And he remembered my frame and he remembered that I'm dust. And as far as the east was from the west, he removed my transgressions from me. I can't function in his kingdom on my own. So praise God for God. Dallas Willard wrote that once we step into his kingdom and trust it, pity becomes the very atmosphere in which we live. Once we walk into his kingdom, and begin to trust God at work there. Pity is in the atmosphere in which we live. So you know what that means, is that I recognize that I need it, and I live in that forgiveness, but that is also what I recognize that that you need. From God, but from me, because we live in the same atmosphere. 
so I can't, like, suck in air and not let you suck in air. You know what I mean? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. I can't need oxygen and, and not give you oxygen or think that you should be able to process something else. Like, it doesn't work like that. Pity is the very, like, in the atmosphere. This need for forgiveness and this forgiving heart is in the atmosphere of his kingdom. This compassion, this understanding that as far as the east is from the west is our transgressions from who we are. That forgiveness just needs to be here. So what, I mean, church always talks about forgiveness, but what really is it? Forgiveness is this clean slate, this canceled debt. It's me saying that I no longer want to harm anybody. It's, it's not saying what was done was okay. It's not making excuses for it or rationalizing it or anything like that, but saying, hey, a- any, any desire or any right that I have to see you punished for this by me, I, 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 I'm just done with. And God, that's his stance towards me. And that becomes the atmosphere in which I live. So that has to become my stance towards you. I remember growing up, my best friend Pete, uh, he would come to our house all the time. And just a couple months ago, we were talking about he would come to our house and sit at our table and we would be about to eat. And before we ate, we would pray. And Pete, uh, he grew up Buddhist. He, he, he prayed different. And, but he, he liked praying with us. And he asked me for the first time uh, a couple months ago, he said, hey, who was that? old white guy who prayed with us. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, there was that picture in your home of that old white guy praying over a loaf of bread and a Bible. You you know this picture? Like, there were a bunch of Lutheran folks who had this picture growing up. I I looked at Jamel. You didn't have that picture in your house? (laughs) There were a bunch of people who looked like me who were Lutheran who had this picture of this old white guy in in a black shirt praying over a loaf of bread. And for some reason, it, it hung in our kit, maybe so that Pete would ask me about it 20 years later. And he was like, Who, who's that guy? I was like, I, I don't know. He's like, that's not your grandpa? <laughs> and like, no, that, that's just like some cheap art that my mom hung up. I, I don't know who he is. And he was like, well, what was that guy doing? Like, he was praying. And like, well, what's he doing in your house? I don't know, man. I didn't ask my mom about her art. But I remember that it was called, like, the Lord's Prayer, right? And that's what we prayed when we were around this, this old dude. And I prayed the Lord's Prayer all the time growing up. I mean, you, many of you who grew up in the church, you, you know the Lord's Prayer. We would pray it at the end of every service, and, and we'd go through it, and, and we would add our amen. And then I remember opening up the Bible and realizing that Jesus ends the Lord's Prayer at a different spot than I did. You ever notice that? Uh, open up your Bible to, to Matthew 6. I mean, we have the, the, we have the Lord's Prayer as I prayed it. My little church would add our amen. Maybe we ended early so that our service would be 59 minutes. I don't know. But we said amen, and then Jesus goes on. And in verse 14, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
I don't think we read that and said amen because that'd be a more awkward amen. Right? That's not as shiny of a place to end, but that's more honest. And this gets to that like atmosphere thing. It is impossible for me to be in a position where I am realizing and living in God's forgiveness towards me and not extending the same to others. It's not possible for me to do that. Actually, Dallas Willard, the, in the same book, he talked about that he studied and psychologically it is impossible for us to live in that place. Our minds are not able to do it. Either we live in God's forgiveness and we're extending that to other people or we don't live in his forgiveness and we don't extend it to other people. So if you want to know if you're living forgiven or not, look at if you're forgiving. That, that's what he's saying here. God isn't like being mean. He's saying, hey, if you're not extending forgiveness to other people, if there's not compassion and pity towards other people where you realize that they are fallen like you are fallen, then you don't realize that you're fallen and that you've got a God who forgives you from day one. You've forgotten that fact. But if as you're walking through your life, you are quick to forgive other people, ex extend love and compassion and grace to other people, then you're living in a spot where you realize you are desperate for that very same thing, and both of you are breathing in the same air. So you're quick to extend, hey, I forgive you. I know it. I, I I might not do the same things. I might still be hurting from what you did, but I will be quick to actually forgive you because I need the same forgiveness. I'm desperate for the same thing you are. Does that make some sense? But there's some work for us to do here because it's not cheap forgiveness. It's not like you walk up to somebody and say, hey, forgive him, and then you just walk away. I used to do that to my siblings all the time. I remember when we were first married, we would do that too. Like, oh, I'm oh, sorry about that really mean thing. I said, yeah, 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 you're forgiven. It's fine. And then you'd be like bitter for like six months, you know. That's not what this is talking about. This is doing the work of rooting out on forgiveness from our souls of the places where we really harbor judgment towards other people and say, I'm not going to live that way because God is not living that way towards me. And if he's not living that way towards me, what do I have to gain by living that way towards you? Why would I do that? I don't need to. I'm dust. And dust is not some shot at my pride. It's just the truth. It's this beautiful space that I live in. This is hard work, guys. This means those people who have hurt us, where you have reason to be angry, you've got reason to, to wish ill, you do the work of getting to a spot where you say, no, that's not me. And there might be consequences for what I did, and I'm not okay with what they did, and I will forever be, like, healing because of this maybe, but, but I, I, I wish well for them. I hope God has forgiveness for them like he does for me because I realize how vastly off I was. See, I think there's a few spots where we get a little hung up. I think we get a little hung up on the idea of do we really need to be forgiven? I think sometimes we just don't realize that we stink. And we're like, well, they stink more. And we don't realize that it's this holy, beautiful, vast God who's inviting us into relationship. We don't realize that we're dust. 
or we, we only think of ourselves as dust. And we can't imagine ourselves as children. But neither one of those do I see as an issue of God's. Those are both in me. When it comes to this question, that does, does the God of the Bible still forgive? Let me tell you, as I studied this, enough, he forgives enough to hear our cries, to separate us from our sin as far as east is from the west, to lay down his life, to, to profoundly live within us, reforming us into his image from the very beginning of Scripture to the very end. Jeremiah 31 talks about there will be a day of a new covenant where we don't even need to tell other people about God because people will know about God and the very next thing that he says is and all of their sins will be forgiven. All of my people's sins will be forgiven. I'll, I'll take care of all of that. I'm not worried about where they've messed up. I'm not worried about where they've sold out. I'm not worried about where they fell short. None of those things, all of that is taken care of. I just want my people back. Does the God of the Bible forgive? There's a resounding yes. And I think the question for today is do we? Do we forgive? Do we accept his forgiveness for us? Do we lay down our pride and say, that's right, I really desperately need you to forgive me, to save me. I'm a mess. Do we do that? And are we extending that same forgiveness to others? Because honestly, on the days where I am not forgiving towards others, I realize I've lost sight of the fact that I am forgiven myself. I know this is a big task because we're not even talking about just us as individuals, right? We're talking about us as a church body. Let, let's just zoom out that far. The church body, one church. Will we be a forgiving church? Collectively, will we say, yeah, we, we uh, by the grace of God, we, we forgive any wrong against us or whatever us means. We want to be forgiving towards other people. We want to show that same kind of compassion towards other people that God extends to us. We want to live in that space and see people as daughters and sons of the God most high, uh, kind of unconditionally, whatever came before. Are, are we going to live in that spot? If we are, we've got some work to do. We've got some soul searching. We've got some homework. We've got some questions to ask and answer. And am I going to be somebody? who lives in that forgiveness myself. It's really hard to find spots in Scripture where it's just me in the corner with Jesus, just us two sorting it out, and we just stay there. It's kind of always like things like this. In Colossians it says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, uh, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, sparing with one another. One has a complaint against you and forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I think one of the, the things that we're finding is, is points where we think Scripture is inconsistent, where we don't really know what to do with it. I, I think what I find is I wish it was inconsistent. Because the truth is challenging. I wish I didn't know if God was forgiving. Because if he is, and if I'm made in his image, that means that I'm forgiven. And that's a harder road. 
It's a more narrow road. But that's the road to the kingdom. That's the road we get to walk. Before you, you know, in the, in the last supper and in what we call communion, Jesus broke the bread and he passed the cup and he reminded everybody like this. This very thing we celebrate every week is for forgiveness. This very thing is to say that you are dust yet invited to the table. That, w- that we are sinners yet separated from our sin. That we're seen as his and we go to the table together because that's who we're called to be. But he also talks about like before you give an offering or before you go to communion. Like if your brother's got something against you, deal with that. If you're holding something against your brother, deal with that. Like, let's not bring those things to the table and profane it. Let's, let, let's sort stuff out. Let's be a people who are forgiving. And let's be a people who realize that we are forgiven. And so the team's going to come up and lead us in a song. And I want to invite you to the table. But I'm hoping that there's some soul searching to do in this moment and coming up and this week and all of this. And I'll tell you, if you need somebody, sometimes we need to physically pray with somebody and hear somebody else's words. If that's you today, uh, Jamel's going to be right over here. I'll be right over here. We, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, to sort things out with you and begin wrestling because this should just lead to question after question after question. And hopefully we leave this series asking even better questions. Does that make some sense? But before we go to the table, let, let me let me pray for us, okay? Father, thank you. Thank you that while I was dust, you called me son. Thank you that before I knew what it meant, you separated me from my sin. That you didn't identify me with it. Jesus, thank you that that everything, every excuse that I could have, you took care of. Everything that could be in the way is now gone. And Holy Spirit, uproot unforgiveness within me, both unforgiveness towards others and prideful unforgiveness of myself, of ourselves. And let us be a people who are quick to forgive because we're so quickly forgiven. Thanks for meeting us at the table. In your name.